journey to Fantastica, where dreams become reality. This week on the podcast, The Never-Ending Story by Michael End, Part 1. Welcome to Growing Up Bookish. It's a nostalgic book podcast where we read books we used to like and see if we still like them. I'm one of your hosts, Emma. I am Allison, the other host. Today we're reading my favorite book of all time, uncontested to this day. And after rereading it, it's still uncontested. It is the never ending story. I love it. I have two tattoos. I've, everyone knows I love it. I'm, I'm being silent because I want the focus to all be on you. No! Like this is, I don't. This is it. This is your shining moment. If nothing, if we do nothing else beyond this podcast, beyond this episode, being able to talk about, at this. least we've talked about the never ending. No, because it's just it's I ever I, I read it first when I was in like maybe fourth grade and I found it in the library and this copy here is the exact same copy. Not not the one, but it's the same version that I found in the library. And of course, as a kid, I'd seen the movie. And so I saw this and I was like, oh, this is a, this is a book. And so I pulled it out and I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Talk about that cover, because if I had seen that cover in the library, I absolutely would have pulled that book as well. Well, it's actually not a very good cover. It looks fantastic. Okay, it is. But like, the thing is, is most of these characters don't look fantasy. They look like English like it looks like Chaucer type characters, <laughs> knights in no, armor, and like you got that dragon thing in the background. Yeah, okay. So Falcor is in the background. That's Bastion riding him. Yeah, okay. Uh, this is the ivory tower, obviously. There's one little elf guy. I, I, maybe that's a tiny. <laughs> There's like a goblin looking guy. Who knows? But most of them really don't look that fantastical. My cover is red and looks a bit. It's the newest cover that's come out. Eastern, I would say. Well, interesting fact about that. Tell me. Michael End, Ende? Michael Ende? I don't know. I'm going to say it both ways. He is a total weeb. Okay. Is super inspired by Japanese folklore. That's a, awesome. A lot of the stories that are in the Nevering story come from mythology from other places. And okay. Japan is one of them. Actually, Falcor's German name is Furker, Fuker. Fuker, which apparently is some kind of like shortened form of the Japanese word for dragon. Oh, okay. Which I don't remember what it is, but <laughs> I did remember reading that at some point yeah. in time and thinking that was really cool. So yeah, he, he's a weeb. Well, then that makes total sense. Because when I first saw him, I'm like, what does this really have to do with um, the never-ending story in Fantasia? I, it's going to be hard for me not to call it Fantasia because I grew up the, with the watching movie. the movie. And we're definitely going to talk about the movie during this. Yeah. It's going to be hard not to. I didn't even... I can't even remember when it was that I realized that it was a book before it was a movie because... The author didn't want to have anything no. to do with the movie. Mm -mm. So I don't need, it's not even mentioned in no. the movie that it was based it on might the book, be. is it? It might be. I'm sure that it is. I'm sure they say it in Maybe there, but like kids don't pay credits. attention to that. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, I found out when I saw that book in the library and I was like, what? And then I read it. Yeah. But yeah, my cover is red and it's got some green vines and all of the characters are kind of the same thing where I'm guessing like, okay, I think that's the childlike empress because she's holding a necklace yeah and then obviously you can always tell falcor yeah he's white dragon yeah i guess what they make him look like on that cover that's how he's supposed to look pretty much more oh. like an agent dragon okay i guess that's bastion because there's a boy with a 
book hold, yeah. with a B. And then is that his father? Wait, he looks like a doctor. Yeah, because his dad's a dentist. Okay. Yeah. And that's then his dad. I'm assuming the old guy at the top is the uh, Coriander. Yeah. That's cool that they included them in there. This cover I like a lot, and this is the book that the first one I own, so that it's torn to pieces. I have my name and phone number in it. Oh, how sweet! And some Wait, stamps. What, is, what does that say? This, some stupid girl <laughs> in my class wrote this. <gasps> I was so. Ma- I mean, I guess it's okay for me to Did write and stamp. She up? actually might have been the one that stamped it too, to be honest. She's, it says, "Hi, Allie. Do you want know my name? Adrian." How dare she How write dare in she a book? Write in my book? <laughs> I mean, I wrote in it too, but that's pencil. But still, that's your choice. That is your yeah. possession. Yeah, I would be so mad if somebody wrote in one of my. Yeah, books. so this one's had it's seen better days, <laughs> but it is my first it's copy, beautiful. and it's got Atreyu, Falcor. I love the picture of Tyler Gamers in the middle, in the magnolia flower. Mm-hmm. That's obviously Chiron, and then Bastion on the end. So I like this. I like this cover a lot. That one's cool too. Anyway. So, do you want to do facts? How do you want to set this? Um, this oh is gosh. this is your um, show. This one's oh no. your baby. Well, I'm not gonna mess this one up for no, you. No, you that <laughs> don't let don't let that stop you from like saying things. Okay. I guess I'll talk about Michael End. I need to just pick one. Pick one. Michael End. All right, there you go. Uh, I'm gonna talk about Michael End first because he is a fascinating dude, um, and I learned a lot of stuff about him listening to other podcasts and reading about him on the internet. He's got like a website, like a biography website, and it's really in depth. Like it talks about every book he wrote and uh, all kinds of parts of his life. And he lived a really interesting life. Is he in charge of that website? No, he's dead. Oh, oops, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) When did he pass? He actually passed pretty young. He was only like in his sixties. Oh, I don't remember the year. I'm sure the Wikipedia says. That's okay. But yeah, he, he's dead. Okay. But um, he, his dad was a surrealist artist. Cool. His mom was a psychologist. Per- oh my gosh. He <laughs> and was destined I to know. write. And he grew up in like a bohemian artist community in Germany. Cool. Um, so yeah, if you didn't know, this book is German and has been translated to English. And I, there's parts of the book there where you can kind of tell. Because some things read a little awkwardly, especially the like poems and songs. Yes. Because they try to keep them rhyming, but some of them don't really rhyme. And I'm like, I bet the translator had a really hard time. Yeah. Trying to like get the point across, but still keep it rhyming in English. But whatever. So also another interesting thing about old Michael is that he was, he grew up in Nazi Germany. I was going to ask about that because yeah. of some of the themes in the book. I'm like, I wonder. Oh, oh if- yeah. That, that is where the major theme of this book comes from, yeah. is all of that. Because, I mean, we'll get there when yeah, we get we there. we will get there. But he was actually drafted to join the Nazi Party militia. <gasps> but instead, he, like, tore up his papers and, like, joined, a, like, a Bavarian resistance group instead. Awesome. <laughs> Super badass. Uh, well, I mean, he's he's an artist at heart. There's no way he's going to yeah. sign up for that. Exactly. And and he grew up in a freaking bohemian artist community yeah. with his surrealist artist dad. <laughs> and you know those Nazis didn't like that surreal art. Oh, no. They also didn't like his stories, Michael N's stories and books. Um, well, obviously, when he started writing, that all that, the war was over. Correct. But the ideals still kind of remained for a while. Mm-hmm. And they were really, all his books were, like, really frowned upon because they were seen as, like, useless escapism. 
His first two novels, Momo, which you read. I have read it. I also have read it, but it's been a long time and I barely remember it. I was about to say, it's been a while and I cannot <laughs> yeah. remember much that happened, but I do remember really enjoying it. Yeah. That book, and then he has another book called Jim Button, which is actually about a train named Emma. Oh. Yeah. Okay. It's about like a train named Emma. I've never <laughs> read it. A train named Emma. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, these two books were like criticized heavily about being, you know, nothing more than like garbage escapism. And I feel like he wrote The Never Ending Story as kind of like a response to that, mm-hmm. as you will see as we get in there. But there is a quote that I wanted to read from his uh, biography website. This isn't a quote of him. This is just the quote of whoever wrote his biography. It says, literary critics favored books that were socially conscious and politically instructive and dismissed fantasy literature as mere escapism. Even Enday's friends found fantasy literature somehow questionable and Enday soon tired of having to justify himself and his work. Um, So he wrote The Nevering Story as a justification basically to explain why it's more than escapism okay so cool but you didn't know no all of that was in this book i didn't <laughs> um there's a lot of other things about him but those were the most interesting points that i yeah. wanted to bring up because this isn't really about him i mean it is but it's not uh it's about the book which we're gonna talk about okay you want to get started i mean i guess okay this is how we get into <laughs> it so i'm sure I'm going to talk a lot about, like, the differences of the movie as well, Mm -hmm. um, because that's what everybody's most familiar with. And, you know. Yes. The first half of the book that we read is pretty accurate to the. I felt so. For the most part. For the most part. They remove all of the deepness and they remove all the symbolism. Yes. And leave it as just a, a fantasy story. Not that everything can be pulled back to Harry Potter, but it made me think of. The fact that the movies leave out the Hork, like all of the detail and the stories surrounding the Horcrux, which I thought was the most important part yeah. of the story. I barely even remember the last few Harry Potter movies because they were just not very good. Yeah. So, but I've read those books multiple times. Yes, you have. Yeah. Yes, you have. They're so good. So I kind of felt that some parts of the book were were like that as well. Well, not part of the. I felt that the movie was like that. Yes. I understand why you have to leave some stuff out. And yeah, maybe kids won't really get it, but... Well, I didn't get it. So when I first read it, um, the chapters that are now to me as an adult the most interesting in this first part of the book are chapters that I skimmed when I was young. Really? Yeah. Because I was like, oh, what is going on here? <laughs> and and now that I'm like reading it, I'm like, this is fascinating. <laughs> I'm like, how did I... How did I not get it when I was a kid? But I was in fourth grade. Yeah, you were in fourth grade. <laughs> I just, you just wanted the fantasy. Bits, I just wanted that's... the fantasy story, and that and you know the filmmakers knew that obviously. Yeah. And they're like, this is what they want. But Michael and they and oh, God, I keep switching. Michael and just hated it, and there's a good reason for it. Yeah. Because it lost the entire meaning of his work. And All I don't. Do you know how long he spent writing the book? Is that information out there? It probably I is. I don't know. I'm just. I can't imagine spending all that time and being like, "This is it. This yeah. is why I'm called to write this story." Yep. And then a movie comes along, and it's like, "Bloop." Yep. Let's make like millions that. of dollars. <laughs> I don't know how well the movie did. Did it do well? I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember um, talking. I'm trying to think. Like in school, I don't remember a lot of people talking about seeing the movie 
when they were in school, when I was in school too. I think when you and I were in school, we were really young because it came out in like 1984. Four? Was it four? I think so. And so we wouldn't have seen it in theaters because we would have been too. No, but as far I as didn't I didn't see it until it on came VHS, out. VHS. Yeah, I, I saw it in Blockbuster all the time. I remember the cover of Atreyu and uh, Falcor and they're flying and it's dark in the background. Yeah. That's the VHS cover I remember seeing. I I don't remember anybody talking about it in the school. Uh, we never watched it in school. I remember in middle school we watched The Princess Bride. Really? Yeah. And The Watcher in the Woods. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> I really want to rewatch that with but you. But as far as like the never ending story, I don't think anybody was really talking about it in 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 my school. Yeah, I don't remember. But, but everyone talks about it now. Yes, they do. So we all saw it, whether yes. we talked about it or not. And I don't even remember owning the movie. I guess I just rented it a bunch of times. I don't know if I owned the movie either. But I definitely, I mean, I do, I do as an adult. But I yeah. remember watching it a lot. I've seen it a lot of times. Well, you can watch it on Amazon Prime now. Oh, okay. So there you go. Well, I own it, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but... I can't really do the usual like, oh, what do you think this book is going to be about? Because I kind of yeah, know. You what already it's know. Be. No, I, already I, get, know. <laughs> I get it. That's fine. It's fine. Well, let me just ask you this. Were you surprised by anything in the first half of the book? Um, no. Uh-uh. I guess no. Well, there weren't any. None of the changes in the first half are like huge and major. Right. But the things that the movie left out were my favorite yes. parts of the book. Well, and that like, might also be because it's new to you. No, it's more than that, too. Well, we'll get there, then. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's just start. Okay, okay. Uh, this book was written in 1979, by the way. In okay. Case, in case you didn't know. Um, so, chapter zero, it's really kind of a prologue, mm-hmm. is all about the bookstore. You'll This scene will be familiar to movie watchers. Bastion enters the bookstore to get away from his bullies. Mm-hmm. Coriander is there, reading the Neverending Story. He absolutely roasts Bastion for being literally good at nothing. <laughs> Like, he roasts this kid. <laughs> he does. Pathetic and wimpy yeah. and, like... He calls him names, and he's <laughs> yeah. like, are you good in school? No, I was held back. God, you are, really are a failure. Like, he he tells it to him. He does. And it's clear that Bastion thinks pretty lowly of himself, too. Uh, the kids in school call him fat. Unlike the movie, he's a fat kid. Yeah. Uh, what was the, like, taunt they did? It was, like... Something. Oh, Namby gosh. Pamby Maybe. sits on the pot. Yeah, I was the like, something about the up. toilet. Yeah. <laughs> Says Namby Pamby. I guess it's because I weigh a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, he broke the toilet because he sat on it and he's fat. <laughs> Although he's, well, I was going to say he's not fat on any of the covers, but that's because it's Bastion once he enters Fantasia, and that's different. Hey, look, I just called it Fantasia. Yeah. It's see, Fantastica. It's in the Fantastica book. in the book, but mm. I think that was a good choice for the movie to make. I actually like it better, too. It's just easier to say. It is. It's way better. Anyway, um, so Bastion steals the Neverending Story when Coriander goes out to talk on the phone. Oh, stealing. And, I know. But he mentions an irresistible pull. Yes. And what I did like that. I'm like, okay, he did explain that part of the yeah. book where like you know, he didn't know why he did feel it. these passions. Yeah. Children feel these passions where mm-hmm. you just you just have to do, do something. something and you don't you do think something. about it. Like ripping up your Nazi papers. <laughs> he probably thought about well. that. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't require too much thought, I don't think. No. I mean, I don't know. That's kind of a scary thing to do. I don't think you would do it. What, tear up? I absolutely would. What if they killed you, Emma? I, dying a noble death <laughs> yeah, I guess. is better than going along I'm, I'm with, with all there. that trash. Anyway, so yeah, it's unlike him. He's not just a thief. He uh, 
decides, you know, he has the irresistible pull to take the book because it calls to him or whatever. So he takes it. Mm -hmm. And then he settles into a school attic and reads. That's pretty much it. There's a lot of, like, things in between about him, like, being paranoid about his dad. And we do find out about his dad a little bit here. But it actually, the stuff about Bastion's life is sprinkled throughout the book. True. Um, but, you know, his dad's a dentist. His mom's dead. Since his mom's death, his dad has basically, like, retreated. Oh, yeah, and he's checked out. It's really yeah, sad it when he sad. talks about some of the situations that they have. And obviously, as a child, he doesn't really understand because he's like, I need you to talk to me, Dad. And it, it does go into it, but not in this chapter. It goes into it later, but you know, yeah. it, there's no harm in talking about it now. Um, but that's basically the setup for his story and his situation. He's a sad boy who the only thing he's good at, according to him, is coming up with names which is very apt <laughs> for this story. Odd thing. But it's an odd thing. To odd, <laughs> and yet the entire Nevering story, as we'll find, was clearly written to appeal to him specifically, so, which makes you wonder, is the Nevering story different for every person who picks it up? Oh, see, this is where the heavy stuff comes yes. in. I'm like, I don't know! Because all of Bastion's little interjections as he's reading the book are all about how he emotionally connects to what's happening. Yeah. So I, I feel like that's a thing. They never say it, but that's my theory. Okay. Anyway. One of the things, I know it's kind of silly to, I feel like it's kind of silly to bring up, but I appreciate the thoughtfulness that the author has when it came to like the attic and stuff. When I was reading mm -hmm. that, I'm like, okay, well, how does he know where the key is? And how does, and he explains yeah. everything. Yeah. He, he starts it out where I'm like, oh yeah, sure. He just happens to know where the key is. Like, no, he saw the janitor and, Saw where he placed the key. I'm like, oh, okay. I feel like Michael N's writing never leaves details out. And right. that's something. But it's not wordy like Piers Anthony. No. It's everything Everything he tells us is important and has a purpose. And it's not superfluous. But the world building is miles different from like Piers Anthony's world building. Where like clearly both of them are creating very complex worlds. But when Michael Ende does it, it's just. I don't know how to explain it. It's just so good. Yeah. Like, I can imagine everything he's telling me. He's and just, not because you've seen the movie? Are you relying on images from no, the movie? No, because the second half of the book is all oh, new. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. And so... Because it's not like the never-ending story, too. We'll talk about that next <laughs> week when we talk about the second half of the book. Uh, but there will be a lot less comparison because that movie's garbage. And let's just not even talk about okay. the third one. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, the, Michael N's writing is amazing. It's amazing. And imagining that it's been translated even, like, it's probably even better in German. Probably. Anyway, I'm sorry. Lots of tangents. No, that's, that's why fine. That's fine. this is going to be a long episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so chapter one is called Fantastica in Danger. Mm -hmm. Now, this is when Bastion's already reading, so now we're in the Nevering story. So this, we start with the citizens of Fantastica meeting in the woods on their way to go see the childlike empress. And we've got a varying supply of creatures. Yes. We have a will-o'-the-wisp will will named Blub. <laughs> These names. Yeah. We have a rock chewer. Not, not rock biter. Rock biter does sound better. It does. It does. They made some good changes. They but did. anyway, rock chewer named Pure and Corkjack. Yeah, okay. I know that from the audiobook. Yes. Pure and Krogjack. Uh, a night hob named Vushvazul, who doesn't look like he does in the movie. In the movie, he looks like kind of like a goblin. Yes. But in the book, he's supposed to be like a furry black caterpillar. 
but that stands up. Yeah, on one of my books, he's on the cover. I'm upset that I didn't bring it because he's on the cover. He's like a furry uh, black cat. I totally can't even. I eyes. don't even remember that description because yeah. I have not the goblin, but like the bat in mind. I just kept well, thinking he still he's rides like a bat. bat. Oh, okay. He still rides the bat, but he's like a caterpillar, caterpillar. looking thing. Okay. All right. That's, that's, okay. He's like furry. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he still rides a bat who I don't think they named. Only the bat. I don't think named. they did. And then the tiny yes. named Gluckuck. Which is the top hat guy in the movie. Which I had a huge crush on him when I was younger. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> I think it was the suit and the top yeah, hat. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on the, I like guys that are like dapper dressed yes. as well, but like, I, I didn't know. No, he's not attractive at all. No, not <laughs> When really. I looked him up later, I was like, oh God, what was wrong with me? Yeah, not sure. It's the, it's the costume. I had a crush on Dick Van Dyke from Mary Poppins. That was my main crush as a kid. Oh, well, he's cute. He was cute yeah. and charming. Yeah, totally off topic. Okay, uh, but he rides a snail, mm-hmm. a tiny, a racing a snail, snail right? a racing snail. Yes, and I don't know I, if that's in the book, but in the movie, it's a racing. No, snail. No, it's in the yeah. book because he, he gets there first. And yeah, thinking like you're not gonna make it ahead of us. Exactly, that's exactly what happens because uh, they want to travel together, or the tiny suggests that they travel together, and they're like, uh, "No one's waiting for a snail, <laughs> doofus." And then he's like, "I've been here for two days. Where have you guys been?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. whatever. So they discuss what's happening to the world about it being taken over by the nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't call it that yet. Like, they don't know what to call it. They have a really nice description of the nothing. Yes. I will Let's share Let's talk you. about that. I will, I will read it and then we can talk about it. Something has happened in Moldymore, said the Will-o'-the-Wisp haltingly. Something impossible to understand. Actually, it's still happening. It's hard to describe. The way it began was, well... In the east of our country, there's a lake. That is, there was a lake. Lake Foaming Broth, we called it. Well, the way it began was like this. One day, Lake Foaming Broth wasn't there anymore. It was just gone. See? You mean it dried up? Gluckuck inquired. No, said the Will-o'-the-Wisp. Then there'd be a dried up lake, but there isn't. Where the lake used to be, there's nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, do you see? A hole? The rock chewer grunted. Not a hole said the Will-o'-the-Wisp despairingly. A hole, after all, is something. This is nothing at all. The three other messengers exchanged glances. What who does this nothing look like? asked the Nighthob. That's just what's so hard to describe, said the Will-o'-the-Wisp unhappily. It doesn't look like anything. It's, it's like, oh, there's no word for it. Maybe, the Tiny suggested. When you look at the place, it's as if you were blind. The will of the wisp stared open mouth. Exactly, it cried. But where? I mean, how? I mean, have you had the same? I like the description of it being blind. But what does that look like? Well, I've never been blind, so I, I know. can't tell you. That's what. That is why. This I don't is know the hardest what, part for me. Okay, I'm well, like, so what does that? What does that look like? As as a director, I'd have a really hard time with like. Okay, we've got a show. Yeah, and on pro- screen. I, the well, the in the movie they show it as like swirling clouds Winds and stuff. And, yeah. yeah, I mean, how would you show it? I don't know. They, I, I think know. the movie did a good job. Yeah. I mean, it got the point across. Yeah. So you know, you obviously know something is missing, but is it is the knowing because you knew that there was a pond there? Like there are visual clues. Yeah, but aren't those visual clues like something? No, no. I mean, you may know that there's a lake there. But I don't, but I don't think it's, but when you look at it, you're not seeing a hole with no lake. Your vision is being blasted out of you. 
And that's not something. No. That's nothing. Yes. Okay. Okay. But, you know, even then they're like, they're like, this is the best way we could describe it, but yeah. it's not like super Perfect. Accurate. Yeah. Like, you're, I mean, I don't think we're ever supposed to really know. They haven't encountered anything like that, I guess. Have no. Or have they? No. Well. This isn't a cycle? Yes, but different. <laughs> Let's wait. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So all these guys are going to the ivory tower. Which, unlike the movie, is an entire city in a tower. Like, I think in the movie they show, like, two rocks. And then there's, like, a tiny little spindly spire. And she's at the top. But in this, they they say that, like, from a distance it looks like a shell. Which you can see on this book cover. There's a little shell. But in that shell is, like, all the city where people live. And there's a labyrinth, too, right? Yeah, on the outside of it. Okay. Which does come into play in the second half of the book. Ooh, all right. Um, But, yeah, so... This is a, it's kind of like the great city, you know, in the, in the middle of a castle, like the castle city, you know, yeah. this is all her like, you know, this scribes King, and King's Landing. Are yeah, we talking about King's, King's Landing, <laughs> except much more peaceful. Oh, good. So we arrive at the ivory tower and there's tons of messengers waiting there to see the childlike empress. No one's been able to get any answers because the empress is ill. They, I don't remember if it's here that they mention it, but it's important to mention that the childlike empress is... More than just a ruler, because she doesn't actually rule. Correct. She doesn't exert power. No power. She doesn't give rules, regulations, any of that. But everybody knows, and they just know. They don't know why, but they just know that she is the reason they exist. Yes. And that without her, that they would all cease to exist. Correct. It's also important to mention that she is also known to have no favoritism towards any creature. She treats them all the same, good or bad whatever and so because of this everybody in the realm no matter who they are respects her yes which is cool do you know who the childlike empress really is should i at this point (laughs) not at this point should i we could talk about it later okay you should in the first half of the book but it's towards the end we'll talk about it it's fine it's fine i mean i i just assume that she's you know there it's I feel there's a reason why it's a female, because the feminine power is creation. Is it? Yes. I didn't know that. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. I think in um, young... See, crap. I didn't do a lot of research on this part. I I feel like I'd need a whole semester, which I love it that some people have chosen this book as like thesis and essays. Dude, I read an essay someone wrote. Like, I read it a couple months ago when we first started rereading this and I was blown away. Was it good? Yes. Okay, you'll need to share it then. Yeah, it's actually on a website called storycoloredglasses.com. Okay. Um, so you can look that up and someone wrote like a huge essay about all the themes and symbolism in here yeah. and like stuff that I'm even like, whoa, I never thought of that. And it was it's some good stuff. Well, I feel like with most mythology, the feminine power is creation. So... Yeah, I never thought that her being female was really relevant. I felt like she was just kind of like a symbol for all of imagination. Like she is. Do you feel like it would work if it were a male? I don't think it would. I feel like he I feel like she would be a little bit less sympathetic because I feel like they I mean, they talk about her being like frail and beautiful a lot, yes. which is a nice image to have. And it's something that Bastion needs because he doesn't have a mom. So maybe, okay, so if this book, <laughs> so maybe that's the reason why book, she's female. Okay, it's written wait. for the book was written for Bastion, 
So, so it'd have to be that. It would so probably if have a little to be girl were reading it. Maybe would it, it would, would it be Dick Van Dyke? Yeah. <laughs> or some other something. Like he he doesn't have a female influence in his life, so maybe that's the And reason. that loss was great. And this is literally just a theory. Great no enough. one's ever confirmed yeah. this. Yeah. But, you know, maybe that's why she's female, who knows. But it also just makes a nicer story to have a female ruler, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Caring and Yeah. But she's but she's not really caring cuz she doesn't well, she doesn't. She, she doesn't she's really, just there. She's there. She's there. She doesn't do anything. She doesn't show any emotion. She's just there. But we don't really see her yet, so this is getting ahead. Anyway. Yeah, I don't. Good luck editing this one. Oh, I'm just going to let it go. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, God. We'll see. Okay. So, in this, and what's annoying about this is I read some like review on Amazon. I know you, you shouldn't take those seriously of this book where someone was really annoyed that they did this. But this is the reason, this is one of the reasons why it's called The Neverending Story, duh. So, this is the last couple sentences of this chapter. During the long waiting period, the four so unalike messengers became good friends. From then on, they stayed together. But that's another story and shall be told another time. Is it actually told another time? No. Oh, okay. And that's why the Amazon guy was mad. He was like, all these stories sound so interesting and where the fuck are they? And I'm like... <laughs> I'm like, you're an idiot, dude. This Can you is look beyond that. Look beyond it. It's it's telling you this is the never ending story for a couple reasons. But one of the reasons is because it's stories upon stories upon right. stories. These upon characters stories. have lives. They all have their of, lives. Yes. Outside of someone opening the book and reading what's on the page. Yes. And this this little snippet happens a lot throughout the story. Yeah. They'll mention it like when other characters happen and they'll give you like a little hint of what the character is doing in the future, but they don't go in any more than that. It'll be like, uh, you know, this guy led a fascinating life after this, but that's another story because right. and this the, is Bastion's story. And, that, and at that point, if you're really mad about it, you just write your own fan fiction. That's all you got to do. Just write it. And maybe we should. Maybe we should. Because I want to write Grogerbond's fan fiction. We haven't gotten there yet. <sighs> All right, keep going. Come on. All right. We won't get there unless we... I know. Come on, speed it up. Chapter... Oh, damn it. Chapter... Oh, God. We are... All right. <laughs> Chapter two is called Atreus' Mission. So every doctor from around Fantastica has traveled to see the Empress's illness, and no one's been able to find the source or the cure or whatever. Um, this is where they talk about the Empress being beloved by all, because they talk about, like, evil witches and vampires that came to, like, see her, too, because they love her as well. That's right. Yep. Um, we skip to Bastion, who's thinking about how his mom died and how his dad kind of died along with her. Mm -hmm. And he's feeling connected to the story. Oh, yes, because of the doctors. Mm -hmm. and Yep, because it was written for him. All right. Yep, there you go. So as all the doctors are gathered, suddenly the last hope, the best known doctor in all of Fantastica appears, and he's got some bad news. He is a centaur. His name is Chiron. He's wearing the Orin, which, uh, let's read the description. Okay. In case you didn't know what it looks like, I'm sure everyone does. Uh, Otherwise called the gem or the, glory. Which no one in the book, they never call it the glory in this book. Except for right now. But later they do call it the gem a lot. A large golden amulet hung from a chain around his neck, and on this amulet one could make out two snakes, one light and one dark, which were biting each other's tail, so forming an oval. Everyone in Fantastica knew what the medallion meant. It was the badge of one acting on the orders of the childlike empress, acting in her name as though she herself were present. It was said to give the bearer mysterious powers, though no one knew exactly what these powers were. Everyone knew its name, Orin. But many who feared to pronounce the name, like Voldemort? 
called it the gem or the glory. It's it's if you're wearing it, you you have to be respected or some something like that. Something like that. Something something like that. It's the same type of mystery as far as her ruling and yeah. not using power, but still okay. So Chiron the centaur it has explained that you know he can't come up with the cure, but the childlike empress has named one who can, and a, a warrior named Atreyu. Yay! Who we all know and yes. love. Yes. He, instead of Atreyu coming to him, as in the movie, he travels yeah. to Atreyu's homeland. Which I kind of think was him. a good... A good change. Yeah. Well, it just it didn't really need their to spend budget. that much time. Yeah. No, we really didn't. And they do spend more time in Atreyu's land than I really feel like you should have. Yeah. Uh, but he, so he travels to Atreyu's land. They're called Greenskins. They, they actually have, they have, actually have green, green skin. skin. Yeah. Yeah. Which they did not keep in the movie. I heard that, I heard that they tried, but that it didn't look right. Like, they attempted it, oh, it didn't good. look right, and they decided not to. Which, you know what, as an artist, I understand. Yeah. Sometimes you try things and it doesn't work. That's right. He looked fine. Maybe so, nowadays, if they did yeah, the movie. they could definitely could, do it. God, they could I really it. want them to redo this movie. You say that, No, but. I do. I do. I mean, I want them to do it well, but. I was like, you don't know what kind of writers you're going to get. That's true. <laughs> well, let's not even go there. So, they have green skin, black hair, yada, yada, yada. They're, uh... They're a society full of hunters. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Chiron arrives, Atreyu is actually off on his own hunt. It's kind of like his bar mitzvah, where he has to kill a purple buffalo in order to become a man. So, yes, his initiation. Yeah, so he this is like a big deal for him. Yes. But, but he's like, no, this is a bigger deal. <laughs> Call him back. I need to talk to him now. So obviously Atreyu is kind of irritated. He's like, dude, I was about to kill a purple buffalo. What the, understand? what the heck, bro? This is important. <laughs> um, but then, of course, as soon as Chiron tells him the situation, he's like, oh, well, yeah, let's go. And he's like, completely fearless. Uh, the only note I have is holy horseshoes is something that, uh, what's his name? Chiron? Chiron. Did he say that? Yes! Oh, I didn't even catch that. And I was like, what? That seems so odd. I kind of like holy skimmed horseshoes. it when I reread it, so <laughs> holy horseshoes. Well, cool. I guess that does seem a little odd for a fantasy novel. But I mean, Chiron is, because in the movie he's full on human, or he looks. No, human. he's a he's no, he's definitely a isn't he? No, he is he's not a centaur. He is not oh. in the movie. Oh well. Can you imagine? They're not going to spend that money on that. They have other stuff. They have other all the creatures that are shown there. Are Nobody's like, got half a horse body. But they got other crazy stuff. <laughs> Do you no. remember what they all look like? They've got like a guy that's like a big head. I also read somewhere that um, they snuck some like real life characters in there like i can't remember who they are but like they have other other movie characters in there which which makes a lot of Wait, sense did they have like star wars characters yeah i think so yeah but it makes a lot of trivia. sense because the characters of fantastica are supposed to be the characters of every story ever written so it makes sense that they, they have would like all pop be culture there. type yeah. of stuff in there too god well, I, I mean i'm glad they didn't make it obvious though yeah because this is that would have been like terrible ready player one or whatever <laughs> oh, god where they're just like here here's all these characters so you could be like hey look it's pikachu you know <laughs> yeah but whatever um yeah i guess you're right they didn't make him a center that's yeah. too bad um it, it's fine <laughs> he's he's out of the book at this point i was about to say yeah he, <laughs> he doesn't last long it no. was a long journey long journey he's old he's old and I th- they he has like a story thread at this point too that I don't remember. I didn't write it down. Atreyu is given no info, no direction on this great quest. He's just told go out, find the cure. Yes, he cannot have any 
any kind of will whatsoever mm-hmm. or opinion. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. So it's it's like he can only be the eyes. He's the traveler, the bringer of the information. He's just he's who you follow. That's it. Atreyu goes off. We get a as he's going, heading off, we get a brief glimpse of a dark shape that's following him. Oh yeah. Chapter three, Morla the Aged One. I love Morla. <laughs> You like the grumpy I just old like woman. The old, I like the old wise yeah, ones. But she she's not really I mean, I guess she's was maybe once wise, but now she's just old and cranky. Yeah. And like And a little little cuckoo. Well yeah, well, she's, she's had no one to no talk one. to. So right. she talks to herself. That's gonna be me. <laughs> you you have people. You have children. I have none. That's oh, gonna yeah, be that's me. Right. That's, that's gonna be, be me. You. <laughs> Once, once Stuart dies, it'll just be me and some cats. I'm going to go crazy. Anyway. So Atreyu travels through many fantastic lands searching for answers, but gets none for a long while. Every night, he has a dream about the same purple buffalo. Yes. And every dream he has, he gets a little bit closer to it. On the seventh day, he arrives at the Howling Forest, where he's warned by a couple of bark trolls to turn back because the nothing's taken over. And this is the first time that Atreyu gets to see the nothing. Oh, yeah. I remember their introduction. I'm like, why do we care about these? Because but they... it's a way to show yeah, him. Because they... When he sees these trolls, they've got, like, holes cut right. in them. Each one of them has, like, a varying degree of, yeah. like, what the nothing has done to because them. Because that's where the nothing touched them. And yes. now they are missing parts of their body. And is this the part, too, where Atreyu learns that people get pulled into it um i don't know that i don't think they i don't think they talk about that now i think that's in spook city okay pretty sure pretty sure i don't know Eh, whatever okay it's definite in there yeah you know maybe they talk about it a little here i don't know but they also do mention that you know touching the nothing doesn't hurt you just cease to be you're just just gone uh so he sees it and obviously he's um terrified so he decides to ride in the opposite direction of there. That night. But see, is that using his own will? I mean, yes, because it's not like. Or, or is it that if he has the Oren on, then it will never be his will. It's the Oren yeah, like leads I, him. That's definitely. That's it. what we're gonna go with. I mean, no, it's definitely it because okay. later there's a proof okay. of that later that the Oren guides you in the right direction. Yeah. Anyway, that night, Atreyu has his buffalo dream again, but this time the buffalo talks to him mm-hmm. and tells him that he needs to go to Tortoise Shell Mountain to talk to Morla. Yes. So this is his guidance. Yes. His purple buffalo dream. Way to go, dreams. <laughs> Way Get to go that dreams. subconscious in there. And that definitely didn't happen in the movie. Uh, no, it didn't. I think he just, like, stumbles upon it, and he's like, here I Wait, am. no, who told... Yeah, somebody told him about Yeah, you're Morla. right, but who did? I can't remember. did you oh, just this... watch it? I did! This is going to drive me crazy. It's been a while since I watched it. Wait, let it. me think. <sighs> yeah, someone did tell him, but who? It wasn't Chiron, was it? No, because they barely have a conversation in the movie. They just kind of like, who told him about Morla? This is going to drive me insane. We have to stop the podcast no! now. We, we have to stop the podcast and go watch the movie right no. now. I don't know. You you think about it. All right. So now, with a destination in mind, he rides into the swamps of sadness. This infamous scene. Oh, my God. I want to know, Emma. All right. This is my depression. <laughs> Do you think it was worse in the book than it is in the movie? Or about Okay, the well, uh, first off, uh, I'm not crazy about animals talking. Now, I... <laughs> Why are you making that face? You have made me read books about animals talking. Look, mice are different. 
are they? Yes. Okay. I'm not crazy about horses talking. I think she just doesn't like horses, as we've learned. No, I liked the telepathy between what's her face and Colleen and Sekiro. Yes. I liked the telepathy. That was cool. Um, I'm not crazy. Like, I don't really like The Lion King or any kind of movie where there's a dog that's talking. Um, Okay. So it kind of bothered it me. It bothered me that bothered yeah. you that Artex talks. Yes, just straight out talks to his master. Now, unfortunately, I was listening to the audiobook on YouTube where it's like this guy who's an absolute terrible. I wish you hadn't. I know. So I listened to that first. That probably ruined your experience. It did. I listened to that first and he was always like the voice for Artex leave me master <laughs> i was just like i can't get behind that now i know watching the movie when i was younger and seeing this part was pretty devastating uh yeah it made me very sad but reading the actual thoughts um that artax is saying 100 percent, i'm like oh my god this is my depression this pretty much it's hopelessness like yeah there's no point in going on and that's this isn't gonna work out we're never going to yeah. save her I'm like, so it's, ah! it's pretty much like i i feel like it plays differently because our text can talk but i feel like that the talking makes it worse because yes. it begins with like a bit of pessimism right where he's like we're never going to be able to find it, and we're never going to be able to save her. And Atreus is like, shut up, Artax, let's go. You know, he's like, whatever, because he's unaffected because he's got the orn. Um, but then it he starts to sink. Yeah, and then it just becomes this and then it's sad fest. Essentially, oh, my God. like, he's the worst part, in my oh opinion. So okay. he starts to sink, and Atreus is like, let me help you. He's like, I can give you the orn, and, you know, you can get out of this. And I don't know why they didn't try that. I mean, I guess maybe they thought, Atreus, you might sink instantly, but whatever so Atreyu tries and he's like no just leave me leave me but the very last thing he says is he's like master I need you to leave because I don't want you to see me die oh yeah and that is sad it is sad. shit <laughs> maybe I would have felt more with it if like I knew how long they'd been together they talk about it though when it, when he when he like goes off with Artex at the beginning they talk about how it's like his his fucking horse and oh, who's been his loyal steed Oops. for his entire life Oops. or something. I guess it was the audiobook that just ruined it for me. Yeah, that's the problem. You should have actually read so it. So don't yeah. Don't don't listen to that audiobook. No, people. the audiobook that I listened to was good. Yes. The it's, one on YouTube that's free, that's like based off of a one. cassette. Like yeah. when you hear this, turn the cassette over. That guy's pretty No, the new one's pretty good. The okay. one on Audible is good. But anyway, I find that it's it's very sad. I didn't think it was going to happen that quickly. But when I rewatched the movie, it happens too, real it, quickly. It, pretty, it happens yeah, pretty early on, too. Yeah, you got to get to Falcor. Falcor, yeah, Falcor is the better horse. Oh, don't <laughs> Precious Artax. Ar I don't think Artax ever comes back in the book, either. Whereas he does come back in the movie. He doesn't have... Artax comes back in the... Oh, at yeah, the, the end. Yeah, at the very end. Oh, yeah. You know, the child of like, the happy oh, Disney yeah, ending that Michael and they hated. all the scenes yeah. where everybody's okay. Yeah. No, yeah, there's none of that here. about that. None of that here. <laughs> you will find in the second half that most people are not okay. Which, why would people think that this would be an escape from reality then? If, he, if he's giving... Because real endings, I guess. I guess imagination. Think, oh, it's just happening in some fantasy land, so it's escapism. Yeah. But he's giving them Imagination's real good and bad. There's good things and bad things. Oh my god, yes. That's a symbol for all of imagination. So. Okay. 
<laughs> I'm like, yes, the imagination creates the thoughts of depression. Sure. Where you and feel it does. heavy and you yes. can't go on. Exactly. All of that. Why did I just, we just need Aurens, that's all. <laughs> okay. I need to find a, is there a therapist out there that has an Auren? <laughs> Her name is Moonchild. Okay. Um Okay, so Artax dies. Sad. Atreyu continues on without him. He makes it out of the swamp. He sees yeah. Tortoiseshell Mountain. Morla emerges. Giant turtle. Atreyu makes his case, um, but Morla's old and indifferent and wants nothing to do with him. Yeah. She I just, love all her stuff. It's like, like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, well, it's she's lived a million years. It's not going to matter. Yeah, and he's like, uh, you're going to die too. And she's like, so? Yeah. She's like, I welcome it. I've been here a million years. And then he's like, if it didn't matter then you would tell me. I do love that. And they yeah. do that in the movie, too. They do. I feel like the conversation in the movie plays out almost exactly the same. It's the a only, good conversation. They added the stupid, like, I'm allergic to humans. And sneezing part. Yeah. You didn't like that? I like that. That's for kids to laugh at. <laughs> that's, some, that's humor for kids. But, uh, and it's funny. It, it shows his tenacity, too. Because he, he keeps, keeps climbing. He keeps getting yeah. up. He does. He does. But there's none of that. But everything else kind of plays out the same. He mm-hmm. just... You know, she doesn't want to help, but finally he convinces her with his, like, if you didn't really care, you wouldn't say you don't care, whatever he says. Um, so she tells Atreya that the Empress needs a new name. Yes. And that it cannot be given in anyone in Fantastica, but she doesn't know who can give it. So she only knows. Do you think that's true? Do you think that she didn't know? I think she didn't know. Because it, A, because the story wills it to be so. Oh, okay. And B... Because if he found out all the information here, it wouldn't be much of a quest, right? Well, true. But yeah. I'm like, she's lived so long. I'm sure she... No. She would have told him. She doesn't know. Okay. Just just like when we get to the Southern Oracle, she doesn't know everything either. Okay. Because you can't know everything because you've got to have a quest. Well, <laughs> does a childlike empress know everything? Yes. <laughs> As we learned, she does. <laughs> she knew all of this. Um, so she does say she doesn't know who can give the name, but maybe... Uyulala of the yes. Southern Oracle does know and that he should go there, except but, that he can't. Yeah, it'll take <laughs> thousands. It's thousands and thousands of miles away. Yeah. That's that's how they say it in the in the movie. It's ten thousand miles away. <laughs> so he's like, Oh, this sucks. But he doesn't stop. No. He's like, No, well, I'm just gonna keep walking then and hope something happens. Well, is that the Orin? Probably. Okay. Yeah. But also he's clearly Atreyu is a brave and tenacious soul because when he come when Chiron comes to him and he's like pissed about missing out on his hunt, he doesn't hesitate as soon as the guy's like, This is what's going on. He's yeah. like, Oh well psh, yeah, I'll go. Yeah. I'm going. You know, and that was before he had Oren. So. That's true. It's just his character as well. So Atreyu sets off again. We get another glimpse of the shadowy creature who has now caught Atreyu's scent and is following him. Yes. And I think at this point, like, Bastion's like, no, Atreyu, <laughs> look around, someone's following you. But, you know, Bastion... Honestly, it kind of got to a point, too, where with Bastion's stuff, I kind of skimmed it. Well, I admit that when I, like, after the first time I read it, subsequent reads, I did the same, but... This time I didn't, and there are a lot of, like, bits in there that are important. Like, Oops. 
But but it's more just about to solidify how this story relates to Bastion directly. Oh, okay. Everything that is happening is something he can correlate to something that's happened in his life. Okay. And so, you know, he'll be like, hey, he'll seemingly go on a tangent where he's like, hey, I had this, like, friend once and, like, she moved away and, like, I was really sad about it. But, like, really that scene is a symbolism for him losing all the imagination in his life and because parents think that kids should go off to school and not have fun and Yuck. you know stuff like that yeah. so there's little bits like that and that's pretty much what all his little interludes are for okay it's to show us that he this story is his story and it's for him and he connects to everything on a deeper level okay that's it cool all right cool. <laughs> you got it <laughs> chapter four one of my favorite chapters Yigrimul the many you, what is that again? Egrimul. Egrimul? Egrimul. Egrimul. I think the audiobook says Egrimul. Okay. Like an I. Like e- e. Yeah. Egrimul. Okay. Yeah. This was not in the movie. No. No. Um, up until now, it's been pretty accurate. But What uh, is it with these fantasy stories and giant spiders? But this is more than just a giant spider. <sighs> I have a... Well, I'll read the description of it when okay. we get there. So I love this chapter because, and maybe because it was new and different and not in the movie or whatever, but it's also just interesting to me. Well, one of my notes, just very first off, um, the author makes a reference of a tennis ball, and that took me out of the story completely. When? I didn't write the page number, but it was in reference to the size of something, comparing it to the size of a tennis ball. And it's written in, so in my book... They italicize, was that the correct word? Yeah, um, Bastion's part. So Bastion's it wasn't that part. part? No, it was well, in Fantastic. Remember, part. it's a book written by an author trying to explain it to a human person. But it's a tennis ball. Couldn't you choose something? I it, mean, Atreyu totally... wasn't describing it that way, right? It was the narrator. No, it was the narrator, but it totally took me out of the fantasy element. I'm like, couldn't you? I mean, I, I don't know what else they could have chosen. I don't know either. But. But I mean, maybe like a sunflower. Could there's you say other like the parts. size of a I mean, sunflower. Yeah, they should have picked something or, better. But that tennis ball is like, wait, what? But it's clear that this book was not written from Atreus' point of view. It's written by a human author. And there's other points in the book where the author actually like addresses the reader. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it's okay because of that. I wonder what they said in in the German version. I don't know. Maybe it was something else. I don't know. I don't anyway, know that was that was like the that's one. That's weird that I, like, I didn't like, catch tennis that. Ball? I mean, this that? book has a lot of words. So, you know. <laughs> it does. And I, I did listen to the audiobook this time, and I, sk- I also re-skimmed it, but I didn't read it, like, thoroughly, except mm. for the chapters that were, like, the best. The best. Spook City. Spook City is one of the greatest oh, chapters. So It's good. my second favorite chapter after The Many Colored Death, which we haven't gotten to. Okay. Atreyu is now without a horse and provisions, so he's he's having a rough time. He's going to have to level up. Something's going to have to happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's lost. He doesn't know where he's going. I don't know how you could be lost when you don't really have a destination to start with. Exactly, and the horn's guiding you, so, yeah. so whichever way you go I don't think he knows way. that. I don't think he knows that. I don't think he knows that the horn is guiding him to the specific places. He's he just having to... God, I don't even know how to do on that journey. I'd go uh, crazy. I would be awful. I, I would be Artax. <laughs> It's hopeless. It's pointless. <laughs> See you later. Anyway. No, you um, can't give up. You're fighting for everyone. I know. So he finds himself in a place called the Land of the Dead Mountains, which he knows about from legend. Doubt was no longer possible. This was the Land of the Dead Mountains. Few had seen them and fewer still escaped for them alive, but they figured 
In Legends of Atreus People, he remembered an old song. Better the huntsman should perish in the swamps, for in the dead mountains there's a deep, deep chasm where dwelleth Egrimal the many, the horror of horrors. Does any of that rhyme? No, no. but later there's rhyming <laughs> yeah. stuff that they kind of are yeah. is a little awkward. <laughs> All of the like songs and poems and stories are a little awkward, yeah. but whatever, translate it. So he knows about Egrimal, but he doesn't know what Egrimal is. Mm -hmm. He just knows that it's the horror of horrors. So despite this, Atreyu keeps on until he reaches the Great Chasm, which is a mile-wide, impossibly deep trench, essentially. He can't go over it, so he starts to, like, walk around it, skirt the edge, hoping to find a way around it. Who knows how long it is, so he could be here for a while. Um, meanwhile, the shadowy figure is, like, on his freaking tail. And this is where Bastion starts freaking out, because he's like, he's right there! Because I think they make mention that Atreyu was like taking his time, like being careful going around the like chasm. Yeah. And that if he knew that like the shadowy figure is literally like an hour away from finding him, he would have like, fr you know, freaked out and gone a little faster and maybe gotten killed. Who knows? But uh, he didn't. Also, the, I think now is when they reveal the shadowy figure to be a wolf. It's a wolf. I can't even. I'm like trying to find it in the book because my notes went straight to I love luck dragons. <laughs> Well, we're going to get to the luck dragon. Hold on. Um, so finally, Atreyu sees a huge spider web with a white luck dragon caught in the middle of it. Oh, and isn't it a sad it scene? Is. Like, they talk about him thrashing and, like, they talk about his, like, bell-like roar. Yeah. Like, and he's freaking out. And I feel, I, I, ima I can't imagine the luck dragon in that situation. Like, it just seems so, like, poor guy. Did he have any wounds at this point? Probably. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, so he's not only bleeding, but... Uh, oh, so sad. Yeah. But he's caught in the web. He can't move. Um, unlike the movies, the luck dragon does not have a dog head. He has a lion-like head, is what they say. They describe so it as lion-like. Which would you rather have? Dog head or lion head? I'd rather have the dog head. What? No. Yes! I love Falcor the movie. I mean, I like it, but it's he, may, he they make him look so doofy. He looks like he's not majestic. Cute. He's cute, but he's not majestic. Mm, no, I guess not. I always kind of imagined him looking like a Chinese dragon, or like yeah, and and that's what he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be like a probably Japanese, a Japanese style well, dragon with I a would, lion head. And I would approach a big puppy dog head versus a big lion head. But Atreyu knows that luck dragons are good. That's true. Because they they also talk about other dragons. They talk about how. Most dragons in Fantastic are like lizards and they're like evil and they like live in caves and, you know, do bad things. Guard but luck dragons are different. Ill-tempered and have bat-like wings. Yeah. Yeah. But luck dragons are creatures of air, warmth, and pure joy. Yep. Aww. And it's so caught in a web. It's caught it's in a web. It's around. Uh, so he... Atreyu sees like a sort of dark cloud changing shape around the luck dragon. And this is Egermol, and I have to read the description because it's kind of amazing. Oh, yeah, because it's not. It, he's really not a spider. spider. No. But he looks like a spider in the illustrations. Yes. We haven't been talking about the illustrations I in the beginning know. of anything. We should start doing that because they're, they're really cool. Um, I guess from now on, we'll start talking about it. Egermol is not a spider, although the, the illustration at the beginning shows it as one, and it does take form of a spider, but it also talks about how it takes form as a hand and other things too. 
The battle between the two giants was fearsome. The luck dragon was still defending itself, spewing blue fire that singed the cloud monster's bristles. Smoke came whirling through the crevices in the rock, so foul-smelling that Atreyu could hardly breathe. Once the luck dragon managed to bite off one of the monster's long legs, but instead of falling into the chasm, the severed leg hovered for a time in midair and then returned to its old place in the black cloud body. And several times, the dragon seemed to seize one of the monster's limbs between its teeth, but it bit into the void. Only then did Atreyu notice that the monster was not a single solid body, but was made up of innumerable small steel blue insects, which buzzed like angry hornets. It was their compact swarm that kept taking different shapes. This was Igrimal, and now Atreyu understood why she was called the Many. Yikes. A huge Night creature made up of tiny nightmare insects. Nightmare fuel. It no, is nightmare you. fuel. It is nightmare no, fuel. No, thank you. Um... So, and we, we realize this in a second because Atreyu shouts for Igermul to stop in the name of the childlike empress. Igermul turns and they talk about how it turns all of its eyes onto Atreyu and Bastion in his world screams out loud yeah. and the scream is heard yes. across the chasm. Yes. And, and, it, and in the movie he did scream, but it was with Morla. Yeah, I was. I was gonna say, what did he scream at? Yeah. I remember it being something. She that opened wasn't scary. her eyes, and he was like, "What?" And I'm like, "God, you wimpy boy!" <laughs> like, what's so scary about this? This turtle? is scary. That is scary. Yeah. <laughs> the turtle, not so scary. But yeah, it's the same thing. They they hear the scream, but you know, the people in the story are like, "What was that?" Oh well, let's keep going on. Now, refresh my memory. Does Bastion? read that they heard it yes and but say like he explains it away okay he's like that couldn't have been so me. he's he's yeah. aware of that yeah. they are aware kind of he doesn't yes. believe it yet yeah but he's starting to wonder i guess so atreyu demands that igramo release the direct luck dragon and give it to atreyu because he needs a he needs a ride to the southern oracle mm -hmm. he's like i need a ride and this guy could be my mount and i think he just wants to save the luck dragon because who yeah. wouldn't who wouldn't um, Yggdrasil tells him that um, the luck dragon only has an hour to live because she has poisoned him, mm -hmm. so he's gonna die. And at this point, um, the luck dragon, whose name we don't know yet, is not moving anymore. He's been paralyzed by the poison, so not moving, not thrashing anymore. Igermul tells Atreyu that she knows a way to get him to the Southern Oracle instantly, but he must allow her to bite him. Such a strange... It's a strange mechanism. It is. Like, why would my poison do this? Yeah. So apparently, Igermul's poison has the ability for, you know, the one hour. It kills within an hour, but within that hour, you have the ability to wish yourself... Somewhere. ...to any location you want. Very convenient. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, where else would I go? Krispy Kreme. Any 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 place with donuts. Wow. You craving donuts right now? Yes. I always crave donuts. <laughs> anyway, so Atreyu agrees because he's like, well, I don't really know that I have a choice, to be honest, because right. I need to get there and hopefully I can do what I need to do in an hour. And she's offering this advice because well initially doesn't he want to he wants to save the luck dragon yes and she's like no, no. don't don't deny me of yeah my, my last meal, meal. yeah because he's like well you're gonna die and she's like well then i should die having a good last meal right, right. so she's refuses to give the luck dragon so he's thinking regardless. his transportation right now is yes the poison yes okay and so he's gonna go he's gonna hope to get his stuff in an hour and the end um so he does it 
He, he's like, bite me and let's do, let's get this done. And he wishes himself to the Southern Oracle. The end of the chapter is with the wolf arriving at Atreus Trail and being like, where'd it go? Oh <laughs> man. Oh man, where'd the trail go? <laughs> oh yeah, because you can't follow that scent. No, not really. <laughs> no. What happens to Igramol? We don't know. And the wolf, does, do they have a battle? Guess not. Hmm. I'm going to have to write that. Well, we know fiction. that Gamork doesn't die to Egramol. Correct. We see him later. Correct. That's true. But uh, they don't talk about that. There was no nether story, nether time for Egramol. Yeah. <laughs> Chapter 5 is called The Gnomics. The little cover art has one of the gnomes sitting there. Mm-hmm. And it also has this the sphinxes, Sphinx. which do not have stripper boobs. No, they do not. They don't even really look female at all to me. They just look androgynous. Well, the description does say they have a female face. But the body's different. We'll get there. I'll describe it when we get there. Um, So, Atreyu wakes up in a new place. A voice calls his name and he sees that it's the Luck Dragon! Yay! Uh, Who introduces himself as Falcor or whatever. But he says that despite being paralyzed, he was still able to hear what Igrimul said about wishing himself to a place. And so he's like, well, I just decided to wish myself to you because you saved my life and now I'm going to serve you. And having a luck dragon is Oh, yeah. He is super amazing. optimistic. <laughs> Actually kind of annoyingly optimistic. Like they do it in the movie where he's like winking and he still winks here. Yeah. Like all of that is still here. Yes. But he's actually kind of annoyingly optimistic because when things are like going poorly. Uh, it'll like, turn out. Don't yeah. worry. He's like, it'll all turn out okay. And I'm like, that is not helpful. <laughs> I've lost my horse, man. Don't you understand? It's like his response to everything Atreus says is just like, with luck. (laughs) And that's, I mean, you would think, I guess it seems a little less like over the top in the text Uh, than it does in the movie, but it is still just as stupid. No, it is. There's no real plan. Yeah, no (laughs) real plans. We need the plans. He's like, I don't have any plans. I just do what I do and luck (laughs) saves me every time. And I guess it does because it saved him from the spider. That's true. Oh my goodness, yeah. Yeah, despite having less than an hour to live, he's like, everything will be great! <laughs> yeah, like, how are they gonna <laughs> take care of their wounds yeah, now? They've been no. poisoned. Who knows? It'll work out! Because at this exact moment, the poison finally takes effect on Atreyu, and he, like, passes out. Mm-hmm. When he wakes up, he feels good again. And he discovers he's been moved to a place uh, near Tiny Cave where two gnomes live. And this is Urgle and Engibuk. So, yet again, comparing to the movie, yeah. this was my most favorite part of the entire movie when I was a little kid. Yeah. I loved their little their little hovel yeah. and them. They were just so cute. And they describe it pretty well in the book. They've yeah. got, like, a lot of details of what's in it and what they're like and everything like that. And they, they have the same little, like, kind of squabbling relationship. Yes, and, I uh, loved how feisty, um, what's Urgle? the... Urgle. was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she's, she's, like calls him an old fool and you know he's only focused on his research of the southern oracle yada yada, yep. yada. And she's got to heal them first before yep. he can even talk about his research yep. yes. that's all pretty accurate yes it is um so urgul has, has healed atreyu and falcor but Book is real excited to talk about atreyu talk to atreyu about this southern oracle it appears as if Book just kind of like expected anyone who visits the area to go to the southern oracle no matter no matter what because it's Atreyu never even tells him that's what he's here for. I think that's why he set up his space there, too. Yeah. Like, you know. Well, because he's waiting for people to come by. Yeah. And he's like, you're going to Southern Oracle. Maybe this is a place Maybe, where no one I mean, else would ever visit. In the movie, like, there's nothing, nothing out there. Around. So No, there's nothing here, too. They talk yeah. about it being like an endless kind of like desert plain. Yeah. 
So they use the telescope to look at the at the Sphinx gate, which is the first gate. Let's tell you the description of the Sphinxes, which do not have stripper boobs. Yeah, I was like, uh, not as porny as the movie. Uh, definitely not. <laughs> and that is one of the things that uh, Michael End was known to hate in the movie. I wonder why they chose to do it that way. I mean, I know like in the 1980s, there was that... Um, yeah, I wrote down his name, but I don't really know how it's. A, it's a Japanese artist that did like the sexy robots. I mean, I think that was that an 80s art aesthetic. like totally makes me think of that. I feel like the '80s for fantasy was like babes and chainmail bikinis, and yeah. that's just what they did. I don't know why they did it either. I don't. They know. had huge boobs. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. Engivuk looked through the telescope and made a slight adjustment by turning some screws. Then he nodded with satisfaction and invited Atreyu to look. To put himself on a level with it, Atreyu had to lie down onto the ground and prop himself up on his elbows. The telescope was aimed at the great stone arch, more specifically at the lower part of the left pillar. And beside this pillar, as Atreyu now saw, an enormous sphinx was sitting motionless in the moonlight. The forepaws on which she was propped were those of a lion, the hindquarters were those of a bull, and on the back she bore wings of an eagle. Her face was of a human woman, in form at any rate, for the expression was far from human. It was hard to tell whether this face was smiling or whether it expressed deep grief or utter indifference. After looking at it for some time, Atreyu seemed to see abysmal wickedness and cruelty, but a moment later he had to correct his impression, for he found only unruffled calm. So they look at that, and then Angivok invites him to come back to his lab and they'll talk about stuff. So that's the end that what of happens? that chapter. Okay. Yep. Because... When do they talk? When do they go more into like the gates? The next in one? the next one because okay. the next chapter is oh, yeah, called yeah, yeah. the Three Magic Gates. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, which, My notes were I, initially I thought it said goats, <laughs> the Three Magic Goats. <laughs> that would be a different story. So chapter six is called the Three Magic Gates, and the artwork on the cover of this one is showing the Magic Mirror Gate, which is the second gate. Um. Back at the gnome's cave, Angivok and Atreyu have a conversation about it. So he talks about all the gates. The first one is the Great Riddle Gate. Second one is the Magic Mirror Gate. And mm-hmm. the third one is the No Key Gate. Mm-hmm. And that the third one's the one we don't see in the movie. Yes, correct. Right. And each gate does not appear until the other one. Until, until the person goes through, through the one that precedes yeah. it. Yeah, so you don't see the second gate until you pass through the first. first. You don't see the third until you pass through the second. Gotcha. So he starts by describing the Great Riddle Gate. Great Riddle Gate, which we've already seen. There's two sphinxes. If the gaze of a sphinx falls upon a person, they are paralyzed because they're forced to solve every riddle in the universe. Okay, thank you for explaining that to me. Because when I read this, I'm like, what What the hell is the riddle? Where's the it's riddle? All the riddles in the universe. So, so you, so the point of that gate is to get through without the sphinx looking at you. Yes, and there's an and the thing about it is, is there's no rhyme or reason because Angie Book says. I know. Specifically, that was like, why are some let through? He doesn't know. He's he goes in great detail about how he's tried to figure out why some people are let through and why some people aren't. He couldn't find any sort of pattern, and so he's decided it's just literally random. I don't, I, I don't like that. <laughs> My brain does not like that. So, yeah, the Sphinx, if the Sphinx closes the eye, their eyes, you can um, you can go through, but if they open the eyes, you're 
basically stuck there forever. And in the movie, you're allowed to go through if you don't it's doubt something about, yourself. Yeah, it's like courage or some shit. But yeah. I hate the way the movie does it because it's like, hey, if you don't doubt yourself, they'll let you through. But the stupid Sphinx is shot at him and he outran it. There should be no <laughs> yeah, way right. to outrun it. So that's he true. did doubt himself. He didn't he did. get through on courage. He, he got through on outrunning a Sphinx. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> stupid, stupid, stupid. That was just added to add some drama to yeah. it. And, 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 and clearly. they did spend a lot of time. Sphinx face. Sphinx face. Atreus face. Sphinx face. Under Atreus boob. Face. Under boob. Under boob. Yeah. There was, I mean, and obviously the way that they do it in the book, it isn't as exciting. No, it's not. Because so I, I was like, I, that was it? Where was the riddle? Yeah. There was no riddle. No, he didn't have to. They didn't, didn't look at him. him. Yes. And we don't know why. Maybe nope. because he was wearing the glory. But, no, probably not. Because Atreyu asks him, he's like, wouldn't they respect the Oren like everyone else does? And Engivuk says, probably not, because in order to respect it, they have to see it, and they can't see anything. Oh, yeah. They don't see anything. So it's the visual of the Oren that, that the power comes from? Well, they, how would they it know just, it was there? I don't know. Maybe it, it could be the feeling. Mystical, and it could mystical be. Mystical powers. It could be. But that's never explained. No. It could be. And I was kind of let down by Inguuk's, um lack of knowledge. How long has he been studying this? I mean, they don't say. But his whole life. Like 10 years at yeah, least. Well, at least. He, he does say He has that, no job. This is his job. He does say that like people that come back are not very forthcoming for reasons unknown. And we still never figure that out. Right. And how many people have gone? I don't know. They don't say. I don't think they say. As many times as a child has read the book? But are those this book travelers? Is, no, this are those book travelers? This book is specifically Bastion's book. So I don't understand. <laughs> it's this, this isn't the same book every child reads. It's different for everybody. So sometimes, okay. All right. So, so the Southern Oracle may not show up for... Yeah, because it may not exist in someone else's story. And and in the second part of the book, it'll make more sense. Okay. Okay? Okay. All right. So anyway, that's the great riddle gate. Um, then he describes the magic mirror gate, which is pretty much just like it is in the movie, but they do a very bad, a very bad description of it in the movie, I feel like, because I feel like most people didn't get it. Well, honestly, I was kind of a little bit let down by the book. Well, it's very version simple. Version two. I mean, it's it's literally because the I same thing. The point of it is is that it's like a giant mirror-like surface that you have to walk through. Um, and I think Atreyu mentions that like he, it seems odd for him to be able to walk through metal or something because he's like, this is a big metal sheet. Like, how do I walk through it? But it's supposed to reflect your innermost self, which is a, a trope in a story we've seen many times before. True. Um, and most people are terrified to see their inner selves. Right. And so they walk away. Yeah. But Hang on, we, I know. we haven't gotten there yet. I'll explain it to you okay. when we get there. Okay. You're not going to like the explanation. <sighs> okay, so you must go into yourself in order to pass. Right. So then, the last gate is the no-key gate, which I do want to read the description of. But what about this third gate? That's where things get really difficult, because you see, the no-key gate is closed. Simply closed. And that's that. There's no handle, and no doorknob, and no keyhole. Nothing. My theory is that this single, hermetically closed door is made of fantastican selenium. You may know that there's no way of destroying, bending, or, dissolve, or dissolving fantastican selenium. It's absolutely indestructible. Then there's no way of getting through? Not so fast, not so fast, my boy. Certain individuals have got through and spoken with Yulala, so the door can be opened. 
But how? Just listen. Fantastic and Selenium reacts to our will. It's our will that makes it unyielding. But if someone succeeds in forgetting all purpose and wanting nothing at all, to him the gate will open of its own accord. Atreyu looked down and said in an undertone, If that's the case, how could I possibly get through? How can I manage to not want to get through? Angivuk sighed and nodded, nodded inside. Just what I've been saying, the no-key gate is the hardest. Um, so yeah, you can only get through this gate if you don't want to get through it. <laughs> Which I feel like I can't put my finger on a story like that before, but I'm like, isn't that a thing that shows up a lot too? Probably, because the first half of the book is all derived from other stories. stories. That's right. That's the whole purpose of yes. it. So a lot of these tales and myths are things that actually have existed. Yeah. In the second half, we get balls to the wall. And so. it's And it's not... He's not choosing these things because he's a lazy writer. He's no. choosing these things for very for the purpose of for a specific. It's a never-ending story. It's yes. It this. It's all stories. It's all stories rolled into one, one world. Yes. I guess this is where all stories live. Anyway, so the other thing is that uh, Engivuk makes him promise to tell him what he what Uyulala tells him when he gets through it, because. Everyone that's come through so far is refused. And this part why? upsets me. I, that's what I want to know. It upsets me because we never find out why. No one would tell. Maybe they never... Well, hang on. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's that, um, I guess. So despite his fear, he goes because, you know, he's a tray. So he sets off and the Sphinxes... When he gets to the Sphinx Gate, there's more... There's a lot of description about him being afraid. Yes. Um, which, I guess, lines up with the movie. But um, he also, as he's, like, staring at them and being all afraid and getting it inside his head, he realizes that he's gotten through. Like, they just, they let him through. Yeah, yeah, yes. It says that the fear just <laughs> falls from him. And I'm like, what? Well, because he made it. How? Because he's like, whew, I made it. But then it's like, once that happens, it does not return. The fear does not return to him throughout the gates. It's throughout true. the rest of the gates. I'm like, oh, oh, isn't that convenient? Why doesn't that happen to me in my life? Because you're not a brave hero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would have, I would have gone on in the swamp of sadness. I don't know if I would have made it past that. I mean, yeah. The, if I, I guess I understand why the movie changed the way this was done. Because just walking through and being like, well, oh, I'm through. Not very exciting, but no. he made it. Yeah, so he did. there you go. He made it. So after he passes through the riddle gate, the mirror gate appears almost instantly. Yes. And unlike the movie, it's not in like a snowy blizzard or whatever. I'm, yeah, I'm wondering why they chose to do all that. Maybe just to show it's a different place. But I mean, I don't know. I the way I'm imagining it in the book is that it's just still that same endless plane. Right. And it's just like, oh, there's a gate. Here now I go. gotta go through yeah. that. And I don't imagine them being very far apart either. Yeah. But whatever. So. As he approaches the mirror gate, who does he see? He sees Bastion. Mm -hmm. Bastion is Atreyu. He's living through Atreyu. Okay, so when Bastion sees that he sees Bastion, is that the moment of struggle that Ingevuk was talking about? Like, you're going, you're not going to like, most people don't like what they see. Right, but There's Atreyu doesn't understand struggle. what he sees. Like, he... He because even, that's what I didn't get. It's like, it, it wasn't a struggle at all for him no. to see the mirror gate. There was nothing terrifying. Mm -hmm. So what was the point of it? So Bastion can understand. <laughs> that uh, he is a traitor. That, yes. That this story is his story. And he is connected to it personally. I still don't like that. 
what you said. You're not going to like it. I, I, still, uh, yeah. I still don't like it because if you're going to say, if you're going to have a character that says, the mirror is going to show you something that you're not going to like. They didn't one say of those specifically. They didn't say it definitely. They just well, said, said your inner self. Yes, but it says it will cost everyone, every one of them an inner struggle to see themselves. I think the inner struggle is for Bastion. Not, okay. Not for Atreyu. Because I'm like, if, if neither one of those characters, if neither Atreyu or, or Bastion has a hard time with the magic mirror gate, then why is Zingy Book saying this stuff? Unless he just really doesn't know. I feel like Bastion is the one having the inner struggle at this point. Okay. Because he's still kind of like, wait, what? Is it me? I, I could never be Atreyu. It's so if you were reading this book as Bastion and you saw read this, what would your reaction be? Would you freak out? I would, would probably explain it? it away. I'd be like, oh, how convenient that this character looks, <laughs> looks like, like me. <laughs> and is sitting in the same place I'm sitting. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I'd believe it. Yeah. But like Bastion still doesn't believe no, it. No, he doesn't. But this, I feel like this entire part, and this is just my own take on it, is strictly to help Bastion realize that he is more than what he has decided he is. Because up until this point, he's decided he's a loser. Right. That he's good at nothing. He will amount to nothing. His world is dreary. Everything sucks. This is trying to, like, make him realize that he can be more. Because throughout all these little interludes that we see Bastion's feelings, he's constantly like, oh, I could never be as brave as Atreyu. And I could never do that. And this is... Yes, you can. Yeah. You can. And you will. You have to. And this is what this scene is for. I still I still don't like it because my brain was just focused on the... F- I was getting really excited about the gates. Oh, you wanted... Yeah. I, I wanted they the are gates. kind of disappointing. They were disappointing. Mm-hmm. They were disappointing. But there are a lot of Atreus great things about this that, book. So, Atreyu says that. When he goes through the second <laughs> gate, he's like... This has been really easy. He's like, I'm really confused as to what. Like, I, I guess it's, it's that luck dragon. Yeah. It's as he's going through the second gate, he's like, uh, I thought this was going to be something more than this. Yes. Like, I'm a little confused. Well, at least there's that kind of awareness yes. from the character rather than it being like, oh, wait, no, that was just poorly written and your character is just okay with that. Yeah. I did like the third gate, though. Which, it's one of my favorite parts. Oh, really? Yeah. That's nice. This part was not in the movie. In the movie, after he passes this gate, he runs into another Sphinx gate. That's right. Because why build another what, thing? Why build you another set? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, I guess. You just change the color on them. Because the first one were orange. And the, the third one's... The second one's blue. Blue. Yeah. Because yeah. blue is more cooling and calming than fiery orange. <laughs> I don't know. But, I mean, I guess I understand budgets or whatever. But I don't see why they couldn't have done what the book does i agree it, i mean you could have done that you could have. somebody somewhere has a mansion maybe with columns or something that you could have filmed that in. all right well let's let's describe what okay. happened so a tree a passes through the gate and as he does he feels what they describe as a prickly shudder and that prickly shudder has made it now so that he has no memory of who he is or where he is or what his quest is so he's lost everything he's lost everything doesn't even know his name nope when he emerges on the other side, the no-key gate is there. And he almost leaves it completely because he's like, well, why would I go through this? Right. You know, and he looks around the other side and sees there's nothing on the other side. But he stops to touch the surface because it's like, the I guess the fantastic in selenium is like shiny and coppery. And he's like, ooh, pretty. <laughs> so he t- touches it and the door opens because now, you know, he doesn't want to go in it. Right. So here you go. And I'm guessing this happens to everybody. Right. 
everyone yes. that goes through now yes. has no and so probably i remember yeah oh in your book talking about so that. here's the explanation okay so i was like why did nobody tell him it's because those they don't people remember no okay those people never went through the gate oh that's probably but they why. get back to him they get back yeah, to him. Yeah, but I mean, you can get back. You just... He doesn't... Like, so Engivuk doesn't so say... You go, so these people have gone through the second gate. Yeah, I feel like they no, no one's ever been through lose. the third. And, but then they just go... But how do they know to go back? I don't know. Are there just wandering souls out there? <laughs> Maybe. It's just because there's no reason why people wouldn't tell once they've gone in. Right. Unless, A, they don't get their memory back. Or, B, they don't go in in the first place. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I don't know. And I don't know what everyone's quests are. Like, I think most people are just like, want to solve the mystery. Who knows? But it could be other stories like Bastions. But but will those gates show up? I don't know. No! <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so he, Atreyu has no memory, but he enters the door anyway, because it's a door that opens. So why not? Right? So when he goes in, uh, it's a huge room full of giant columns they describe it as like a column forest mm-hmm. and it's on with a night sky yes so beautiful they could have built that they could have made that happen in the movie they could have he enters the door and it closes behind him chapter seven is called the voice of silence and yes. i'm pretty sure the art at the beginning of this is the columns right i think you know i think i just totally didn't even look at these yes it is yeah. the columns you didn't look at the art you're usually I, all into I the drawings. I know. I think I was just more like, I've got a deadline. I've got to read this. That's so sad, Emma. I know. I, I need know. you to. I need you to. I know. Experience. I am. It's okay. I'm going back and I'm looking at it. It's beautiful. This it was beautiful. my favorite. This was. Well, maybe it's not my favorite chapter. It's my second favorite chapter. Spook City's favorite. Absolutely, yeah. hands yeah. down. Yeah. Um. So. Chapter 7, The Voice of Silence. Atreyu enters the Forest of Columns, and eventually he hears a voice that's coming from all different directions, and it's singing sadly. So he tries to speak to the voice, but learns that he must speak in rhyme Mm -hmm. in order for it to be heard. So the majority of this chapter is spoken in rhyme. One of the reasons why I love it. Yeah, but it's kind of awkward rhyming, but you know. That's okay. Translated from German. I, I loved rhyming and poetry when I was younger, so. That's cool then. Totally on board with it. So through this, you know, rhyming, <laughs> the voice tells him that she is Uyulala, the oracle. And Atreyu, who still doesn't know who he is, asks her why she sounds so sad. She tells him that the empress is dying, mm-hmm. and so is she. Yes. Yep. Yes, this is what's sad to me. The thought that her body is but sound really made me sad. And I guess it's made me think of like loved ones that have passed away. Oh. I don't know why, but I'm just like, oh, I Maybe it's just... another symbol for his mom. Oh, maybe. Huh. I don't know. I don't know either. But yeah, she's a disembodied voice. And he, there is a lot. I mean, if there's a specific rhyme you want to read, feel free. I think I have I didn't, one. I didn't write one down. I have one specific. that I wrote down. I can't remember which one it is, but um, but whatever. I'll well, When I get there. So she tells him that the Empress is dying and needs a new name. Atreyu doesn't remember his quest yet, but he's like, oh, this is real important. Right. You know? So he realizes still that this is something that he should pay attention to. She also tells him that it must be given, the name must be given from a child of man. Who can give the childlike empress the new name that will make her well? 
Not you, not I, no elf nor jinn can save us from this evil spell, for we are figures in a book. We do what we were invented for, but we can fashion nothing new and cannot change from what we are. But there's a realm outside of Fantastica. The Outer World is its name. The people who live there are rich indeed and not at all the same. Born of the world, the children of man, or humans as they're sometimes called, have had the gift of giving names ever since our worlds began. In every age, it's they who gave the childlike empress life, for wondrous new names have the power to save. But now, for many and many a day, no human has visited Fantastica, for they no longer know the way. They have forgotten how real we are. They don't believe in us any anymore. Oh, if only one child of man would come. Oh, then at last the thing would be done. If only one would hear our plea, for them it is near, but for us too far. Never can we go out to them, for theirs is the world of reality. But tell me, my hero, you so young, will you remember what I have sung? He remembers parts of it. He doesn't remember the most important part. Wait, what was the most important part? That he can't go to oh, them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That because is immediately like, after There this, it is, right there. Yeah, there. it's right there. And he does remember it later, after He's all like, the tragedy oh, happens. Whatever. Oh, yeah. We'll get there. It's just so dumb. But it had to happen. It did have to happen. It did happen. For the story. <laughs> so she, literally, we have our answers right there. Yes. To everything. Yes. Although, wait. Yes. She explains that, you know, they are characters in a book. That yes. are created by man. Yes. Our imaginations. Mm -hmm. But that the creatures of man have lost their imagination and forgotten about the stories. And I feel like this has a lot to do with Michaelin's upbringing in Nazi Germany. Because they didn't want any of that creativity. Right. And they didn't want you to have your own thoughts. Right. They were trying to stifle everything out and make everyone just, you know, like, all about politics and logic and well, everything else. No, no critical thinking. No questioning. Yeah. You, you do what you're told. That's so it. imagination has died. Yes. In the real world. And this is kind of what he's portraying here. And see, it's so hard for me to let go, <laughs> let go of this thing where I'm like, okay, she says that... In every age, it's they who gave the childlike empress life. Yes, because they're the one creating the story. But so, it's not this specific story. No. She's talking about every just story. Every story. Because okay. the childlike empress like, is imagination. Okay. That's what she is. Yeah. That's why she has that's why she has no power or she doesn't exert her power. Because all she is is the ability for us to create. She symbolizes our ability to imagine okay and that's also why she doesn't you know differentiate between things because our imagine creates good things and bad things correct and you know all she is is that that concept okay <laughs> <laughs> things that the movie did not touch upon oh no 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 they no. didn't they didn't but anyway that and you know what this is what i see it as and you know some of the articles that i read agree and some have other opinions um but this is kind of what i've decided it means you know take it as you want i guess so you don't believe that this story is the same no okay so when she says perhaps you will accomplish what no one else has done it's so hard for me not to think about like are there other trap is she talking about the other travelers that have had the same mission 
Maybe. And, you know, I mean, I would find it hard to believe that there's never been a similar mission. Actually, you know what? I take that back now that we're talking about it. Okay. I think no one else has done it because up until now, the stories were alive. And people had the ability and they so were... So this is the first part where imagination is, is deteriorating. Dying. Yes. Okay. I feel like that's what it is. It was in Nazi Germany. <laughs> right. So... Well, this story didn't exist. You know, our world... Our world has been stories since time began. Yes. And the world that Michael End is living in now, they're trying to take that away. Okay. And that's what he sees. This is the first time that because they... Because they don't like his books. Mere escapism. <laughs> like, that's a bad thing. Yeah. But I, I feel like, yeah, this is the the first time okay. that we've actually been at risk. And But they do mention that this isn't the first time she's been given a new name, but that maybe this is the first time that... She needs that name. Okay. Like, people can give her a new name by creating new stories. Right. Because that's really what it is. The new name is just creating stories. Okay. You know. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm not... I, I agree. I absolutely agree. But my brain's like, yes. 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 Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And I... Hey, I'm coming up with things that I didn't think about before. Because I have decided that, that, yes, this is the very first time. That this is... That it's... That the nothing has threatened to take over. I, th- I feel like. The very first time. Or maybe this is the but, first time that but, it's been a real threat. But in the past, she has had to have other names. Yeah, but I don't feel like she's had it. Had to have it. I feel like she's she just been given, given other names. Because humans are always creating. Okay. And always making new things. Okay. And her, as the embodiment of imagination has been given new life because people have created new things. Okay. Probably every time someone creates a new fable or folktale, that's her new name. Did you give her a new name? No, but it wouldn't be Moonchild. <laughs> um, but uh, whatever. Uh, anyway, so... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that, oh that's my, what this is e- for. Wait, all the travelers to Uyulala, were they given the same task? Each traveler in Fantastica was attached to a human traveler? Like... We don't know. We don't know. We we don't know, but I, I don't necessarily think so. Well, I mean, I, I think they were all attached to a human. Yes. Yes. Because... They have to be. They have to be. They're, but they weren't kind of all like given the same task. Yeah. They weren't the same task. No. I don't think so. I don't know. That's just my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, um, Uyulala's voice dies away. Oh, it's so sad. Yeah, she's like, you're the last one that's going to hear my song. Probably, well, not probably. And you're not going to remember it. But Buddy is. Yeah. Because for some reason he decides to fall asleep here. I I don't know why. Because the Orin wills it so, I guess. And when he awakes, he has his memory back. So now he remembers everything. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Bastion's like, I wish I could give her a name because I'm really good at naming (laughs) things. Um, what a beautiful you, name, I would think. Of. Yeah. He's got confidence in this area. He does. This is the only thing he's good at. Yeah. <laughs> so when Atreyu exits, he realizes that the nothing has basically taken over this area. Yes. Um, the Great Real Gate has been, like, the archway has been smashed. The sphinxes are gone. And there's patches of the nothing kind of, like, all over. Yes. So he's panicking. And he, he runs back towards Engivuk and uh, he meets up with Falcor who's now healed and well mm-hmm. and Engivuk questions him apparently he's been gone for seven days seven and days all and of seven this nights. has happened in seven days yeah. nothing just takes over so fast and Atreyu tells the gnomes everything so he has no problem sharing what he knows unfortunately Engivuk is not pleased 
because the Sphinxes and Uyulala are now gone. Meaning to hit Angivuk that all his research has been for nothing because no one cares about things that used to be there. Which I didn't agree with. I don't agree with either. I'm just like, calm down. Calm down, it's little man. It's still historical. It's still important. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, people may not come to visit it anymore. Yeah. But they want to know what was there, right? Yeah. But whatever. He's he's devastated. No. Uh, yeah. That, and he goes off by himself bit. and we don't see him again. Huffs, huffs yeah. and puffs. I'm yeah. Like, Good God. Get yeah, over it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Urgle tells them that, you know, they're leaving because the nothing is here. And, you know, so they can't stay anymore. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, uh, they... Atreyu leaves the gnomes and he's off to go find a human. Because he didn't listen to Uyulala. <laughs> he thinks he can reach one. Yeah. Never can we go there, she said. You said you would remember. You didn't. up talking a really long time about this book and so we decided to break it up into four parts so and i don't um, even feel like we touched on everything that i no, wanted to so definitely not so i hope you're in for this long never-ending never-ending <laughs> podcast story ride um because we we went deep all right till next time guys hope you sat through all this yeah see you later bye bye <laughs> To learn more about us and see what we're going to read next, visit our website at growingupbookish.com. 